Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be here. Like Pastor Andreas said, and you know, I can just basically echo everything he said. You know, Pastor Andreas and Pastor Amir, they're gifts to my wife and I as well. I mean, you know, you, when you find a, a friend that sticks close, those are people you want to hang around with. And people that love Jesus, that love the local church, that are here to build the kingdom of God. So Pastor Andreas and Emery, thank you for being such a gift to us. Like he's not only encouraged me personally, but he's also, they, in this church, I got some words for myself. Remember last, I think a couple years ago, you had the, another, I can't remember the gentleman's name, Van Bronkarst? Yeah, yeah man, I got some words there. Like, so this is home. So I'm going to just take off my shoes and just stay a little while if we're okay. No, but... It is just an, it's an honor to be here to see and be part of what God is doing in this local church and in this region. I'm just coming to bring my amen to what, what pastors Andreas and Emery are doing. And I listened to some of the message on uh, the bringing out the house or wake up the house. Y'all, are we waking up yet? Oh, we, 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 we good? Because those aren't just for, you know, Pastor Andreas, just to get you going. Those are some good messages that will bring you right to where you need to be. And so, man, giddy up. Well, this morning... I come and I'm excited to be here. And uh, as Pastor Andreas said, those of you who don't know, my name is Joel. My wife and I, we pastor a church in Red Deer, Alberta. If you're like, where on earth is Red Deer? It's basically the best city in, Red, in Alberta. It's between Edmonton and Calgary. We're just right there. And uh, my wife, she's from Langley originally. And our, our, we got some family here. Dan and Lisa are family as well. They're a beautiful family. I appreciate you guys. And uh, one hand clap. Thank you for that. That's good. <laughs> um, but my wife is from Langley originally, and so when we got married, it'd be thir- we just had 13 years last week, and uh, I brought her to God's country, Alberta. <laughs> she doesn't think that yet, but I'm working on convincing her that way. No, this is a beautiful part. I'm so thankful that my wife is from here, not east. This is a great place to be, so I'm super thankful that I get to come here at least every summer to be part of that. Well, this morning... Um, Let's get into the Word of God. We're going to jump right into this. If you got your Bibles with you, John chapter 17, or it's probably, uh, you're already there. Okay, well, in that case, no excuse. You can see it now. You can, if you see it, you can do it. Well, the Word of God this morning, just some things that were stirring in my heart as I was taking some time just to pray for you, this church family. This is what was stirring up in me and just talking about just this word different. We are called to be different. And especially in the season and the times that we're called to be in, different is a good thing. I mean, the world is looking for something different, something that is stable, something that has a strong root, strong foundation. And of course, we know that to be the Lord. We know that to be his word. So in this, I want to just lay a quick foundation for us. And we're going to jump into some things uh, this morning. And in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, these are, this is Jesus's prayer for his disciples. And it includes you and I, you see Jesus's words. It's not just for the disciples that followed him, but also for those that would believe on him through their word. So in verse 14, it says this, I have given them your message. And that is why the unbelieving world hates them. Why does the unbelieving world hate you? Because of the message you've received. You and I, we are message carriers. We contain and we hold on to a message, whether it's a testimony of the goodness of God, what he's done in your life, from what you've seen in the word. You and I are message carriers, and the enemy hates that. And that's why the unbelieving world hates you and I as well. Right? It says, for their allegiance is no longer to this world because I am not of this world. Verse 15, I'm not asking you that you remove them from this world, but that you guard their hearts from evil 
In verse 16, I really want you to see this part. He says, for they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. Can we read that part together? They no longer belong to this world any more than I do. Now, I know we've heard that phrase so many times. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. We've heard some of those things, and we got to get it out of the cliche Christianese talk and actually realize that this is fact. You and I, when you read this, they no longer belong, meaning we did belong to this world. What do I mean by that? By its thinking, by its mindsets, by its routines, by its ways of operating. We used to live and operate by this world system. But he said they no longer belong because he's taken us out. That's good news. We're out. Now, verse 17, it says this, your word is truth, so make them holy by your truth. What is the distinguishing mark? What separates us from the world is the word of God. And what is the word of God? Again, God's word. But when we apply it to the way we think and we live it out, you and I become different. We become operating on a completely different level. Now, again, I don't want to take Jesus's words for granted. I don't want to just water them down. But if you look at this, they no longer belong to this world. This is a big deal because Jesus paid a tremendous price to get you and I, uh, you and I out of this world system, this world's way of thinking. He made a way for you and I to think differently. Woo! That's good news, right? Now, look at this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. It says this in the Passion Bible. It says, your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think. Everybody say think. You think of what God or how God has made you worthy. Did you make yourself worthy? Is there anything you can do? No, God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. Verse 13, he says, he has. But say, he has. Yeah. Come on, is that past, present, or future tense? It's past, so he's done something. He has done what? He's rescued us completely. Not 99%, 100%. Complete rescuing took place from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For, verse 14, for in the son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Is there any stain of sin on you and I? It's gone. It's wiped completely clean. Free. Let me yell out free. free. Come on, say it like you mean it. I'm free. free. Completely free. Free from what? The tyrannical rule of darkness. No matter what comes my way, no matter what they try to, you know, put something on me, I am completely free through what Jesus has done and his sacrifice. 100% free and clean. Now, you and I, this is the greatest honor that we've been called out of this world. And now, you know, if you read Romans chapter 8, I don't have that on the screen, but Romans 8, 29 and 30, it gives you God's plan. You know, God had an agenda when he rescued you and I from the tyrannical rule. It wasn't just go, oh yeah, you're free now, just do whatever you want. He had a purpose and a vision for you in my life. And the purpose, you can read Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. For those he's called, that he chose, he's ordained you and I to look just like him. So now Jesus is not only an example for us, he's an example of us. When you read the gospels and when you read what Jesus did, don't always look at yourself as that individual that always was in need of something. Look at yourself through the eyes of Jesus that you are actually supposed to be him walking on this earth. When the spirit of God takes over and comes, lives on the inside of you, you are wall to wall, Holy Ghost on the inside. And the same works that Jesus did, you and I are now called to do. 
So again, we have to have a different picture on the inside. I'm not in need. I don't just, oh God, I need, I need, I need. I have because of what he's done. It's good news, the gospel, what he did, right? Now, let's continuing on here. You and I now, we qualify to operate as children of God on this earth. Again, we've been pulled out of this world. We've been taken out of this world. And so what's the difference? How do the two worlds operate? Well, the world system, it operates by this way. It operates by sense knowledge. Simply meaning this, if I feel it, it must be so. If I see it naturally, well, I guess I'm stuck with it. I believe the Lord is calling you and I to get unstuck. And how are we gonna do that? We're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. But you and I are not called stuck. You don't find that any scripture. Well, you're just stuck with this, but that's where the world system operates. If I can see it, it must be. If I can feel it, it must be. But the kingdom of God, how it operates now, not just sense, knowledge, or just reasoning, the kingdom of God now operates by revelation knowledge, or simply by saying it this, whatever God has said, we live by that. When what I see doesn't line up with what he said, I have to make a choice. I'm going to stick with what he said. Now, this is where we're going for, because God never intended you and I as believers just to operate in head knowledge. He's operating, called us to a little bit deeper, which is called revelation knowledge. And we're going to get into that this morning, the importance of revelation knowledge in the time and in the season that we're living in. Why revelation knowledge is so important, because number one is this, is God uses revelation knowledge to build his church. Now, how do we build the church? I mean, you and I, we got gifts, we got talents, right? There's many, I mean, all the worship thing up here. When I actually told Dan, when the worship team, I wish I could sing. <laughs> I, I wish. Then I saw the drummer just having a, just a fun time in there. I'm like, I could do that. And then I heard the snapping going on. I'm like, I could, I could do that. <laughs> I, I can keep it beat that way. But you know, everybody's got different gifts and talents. Aren't you thankful for nice people at the door offering you water when you walk in? What if they were jerks at the front door? Oh, it's you again. Welcome to Life Church. Yeah, grab a muffin. Well, first here. Here. Enjoy. Find a seat somewhere in there. I don't really care. Just figure it out. Aren't you thankful for people that have this hospitality gift? Just me? <laughs> I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for nice greeters, not jerks at the front door. So thankful for that. And it just goes on and on. So of course, using your gift is a way to build the church. So again, that was just a little plug. If you're not serving, this is a great place to serve. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to plant, call this place your home and grow in what God has called you to do. It's a wonderful spot. Now, but how God is also building his church, I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 16, I want you just to get a different perspective because this is a very familiar scripture that Christians quote, especially during the COVID time. The gates of hell will not prevail. And that's true, but we got to read it in context to what he's saying. Because what happens if you take the text out of where it was put, you get a con. So you got to keep it in context, right? Cool, that was a horror. I'm a dad of four. That was a dad joke. I really apologize for that. Okay, but verse 13, let's pick it up right here. You may know this account, but let's read this over again. And Jesus, in verse 13, it says, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. This just shows the state or the, the spirituality of the nation of Israel in that time. They believed in reincarnation. It's a sad place that they were in. 
But then Jesus went on. He says, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah and the son of the living God. Now, if you just kind of read this in your New King James or New Living Translation, it just kind of sounds, Peter, well done. You were blessed. I believe Jesus got so hyped up when all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's asked, who do you say that I am? And all of a sudden, Peter just said, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Jesus went, woo, jumped up, chest bumped Peter and said, that's it, boy. You got it. You got it. And he said, what? You are blessed. Come on, say it with me. You are blessed. Why is he blessed? Look at this. Verse 17. You are blessed because my father in heaven has done what? Has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any external force, any external leerings. It didn't come in just from the outside in. It came from the inside out. And so Jesus got hyped on that. Woo, I believe that was a mic drop happening at that moment. They were just dancing. Jesus got super excited. Why? Because it wasn't just coming from the outside. It was revealed on the inside. Then he got so excited about it. And then he said this in verse 18. He says, now I say to you, Peter, upon this rock. What does it mean, this rock? Does it mean Peter? It means on this revelation knowledge, I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So how was God building his church? Through revelation knowledge. And you and I all came into the church or we came in through the door of this revelation knowledge that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That got us access into this new kingdom. Now, the revelation knowledge doesn't just stop there. That's the very foundation, so I can say right here, is the foundation that you and I stand on. Jesus is the Christ. Now, from there, revelation builds upon revelation, builds upon revelation, builds upon revelation. You and I are not intended to live with just a mental assent to the word of God. Because what I found is that we got believers that are 3,000 scriptures too heavy. What do I mean by that? You read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and it talks about people having knowledge and great to have knowledge, but if there's no love, all that it is, it's just puffed up. And so well, we got a lot of believers that can quote, 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 but do you actually live this thing out? Is it actually become revealed knowledge to you or are you just 3,000 pounds just too heavy? Just got to get another spiritual verse slammed on the inside of me. God never intended for us just to be mentally smart. He wanted you and I to live our lives with revelation knowledge. Because again, if you look at this, the difference between Peter and Judas. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter got this revelation knowledge that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Why did Judas kill himself? Didn't have that same revelation knowledge. All of it's completely different. Why didn't Peter kill himself? They all denied the Lord. Why did he kill himself? He knew too much. Something that he knew. What did he know? He knew that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So let's jump into this morning. Why revelation knowledge? I got four points I want to bring out. Why revelation knowledge? And we'll talk about how to align ourselves in it. Number one is this, that revelation knowledge is the greatest need for every believer. This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter one. This is a prayer that you can pray every single day for yourself. I've been doing this for myself for the past couple months because God, what do I need? I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's the greatest need for the church, right? Can we look at this? Look at this verse 17 of Ephesians one. 
This is the Spirit of God praying through the Apostle Paul, and he's bringing this prayer, and he's saying this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you and I a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deep or intimate knowledge of him. Verse 18, that the eyes of our, of our understanding, of our heart, on the inside, be enlightened, and he prays for three things specifically. Now, I want you to see this. I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that my eyes be enlightened for number one, that I may know what is the hope of my calling. That's probably the biggest question that you ever hear is, what am I called to do? You need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to know what it is. It's not just in a filing cabinet where you can just pull out and go, where's Joel housing, Joel housing, Joel housing, Joel It's not there. It's not anywhere natural. It's not in my brain. It's not in, in my education or lack thereof. Where is my calling? It's found in a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Knowing him equips me for the calling that he has on my life. Number two, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? Now you get a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of this, you, Christianity starts to be different. Rather than I need, I need, I need, it now becomes what has he put on the inside of me, the inheritance that he purchased on the cross for me. So rather than now I need, I need, I need, it's now I release now what he's already given me. It's a completely different way of operating. Because what are Christians going, I need, I need, I need. God, I don't have enough of this. God, I don't have that. He's already given it to you. And what do we need? A spirit of wisdom and revelation to see it, to grasp it, and now release it. And then thirdly, he said also this, uh, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power in and for us? Why? Because we are believers. What kind of power is this? It's the same power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, where? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age and in this world, but also in that which is to come. Put all things under his feet and made him to be the head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all in all. Woo! Did you know Paul actually saw this? He's just not throwing out these Christian words. He saw it. And the good news about revelation knowledge is this. Revelation knowledge is to whosoever. But there is, how do you say it? There is access to it. You have to want it. God doesn't just give whatever he wants. He's not going to just give revelation knowledge to whosoever. If you want it, you can have it. Jesus said this, don't throw your pearls before swine. I'm not going to cast what's good, what's lovely. If you don't want it, fine, I'll just hold it to myself. But I don't know about you, but I want it. And it's on the sense that God's withholding it. I'm just showing my heart, God, I want to see this. Paul saw this. He saw himself, Ephesians 2, 6, rather than just a nice Christian thing to throw up once in a while. He actually saw himself seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above every principality, every power and dominion, and every name that is named. He saw it. So what do I, you and I do? We pray, God, our eyes need to be opened on the inside. My heart needs to be expanding on the inside. I need to see this clearly. So what is it? It's a desire on the inside, number one. If you want it, it's a desire. God, I want it. And he's willing to give it. Secondly now, why revelation knowledge? Revelation knowledge will fuel your dedication. I think so much time in the church world is we're looking for dedicated people. And dedication is good. But every once in a while, you go to a conference or you had a good service, and what happens? Your dedicator gets filled up, and you go, oh, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. Only after a period of time, your dedicator runs out. Anybody ever had their dedicator run out before? Yeah, sure. And all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, man, I got to do that again? Well, your revelation of the Word of God will fuel your dedication. 
So that's why you don't find Paul playing, we just need more dedicated Christians. He's saying, no, get a spirit of wisdom and revelation and that will fuel your dedication. So this is why we need it. We need to see him. Because when you see him, you want more. You lay down your life for the church. You lay down your life for his cause. Right, God, yeah, I'll serve. Yeah, I'll do what you want me to do. It's because I'm fueled because of my relationship with him. Number three then, why revelation knowledge? Because a breakthrough in revelation knowledge is just simply this. It enables you to see things from God's perspective. That's all that it is. That's what it is, right? Now, walking with God requires you and I to know him and to see and to hear what he's revealing. If you look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you find just these phrases, faith moved Abel, faith opened Noah's heart, Faith motivated Abraham. Sarah's faith embraced miracle power. Like these phrases, you have to see and you have to walk with God in order to actually really walk with him. Let me give you these verses as well. I believe it's in uh, Hosea 4, verse 6. It says, my people. They say, my people. So God's talking about his people. What's happening to them? My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. We know about him, we know of him, but they don't know him. What's the difference? I have mental ascent and I have deep revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge will hold you steady when all hell breaks loose. Revelation knowledge keeps you firm, keeps you planted. And this is why he, God even says this, my people are perishing because they don't know me. Right, look at this, Isaiah chapter five, verse 13. Again, God is saying this about his people. He says, my people will go into exile far away. Why? Because they don't know me. They don't see what I'm giving them. They're not picking up what I'm throwing down. So part of, again, walking with God is you and I, we've got to see the picture that God is laying out. We've got to capture it. We've got to take ownership of it. And part of that is just simply, again, desire. God, I want to see it. Because when you see it, this is a spiritual reality. When you see it, you can see it. That makes sense? When you see it on the inside... You see it on the outside, and that's how the kingdom of God works. God works from the inside out. Fourthly, or no, just wait, I'm jumping ahead too quick. <clears throat> Go to Galatians chapter 1. Look at this here. But you and I, again, fulfilling our God-given callings, your individual callings requires a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not just by chance, hoping that I just fulfill what God's called me to do. It requires you and I to actually see something. Now look at this in Galatians 1 where the Apostle Paul gives his testimony a bit of where he came to be where he is. He says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not what? Didn't come from humans, meaning nothing external came to me from the outside, right? Verse 12, he says, I did not receive it by any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, what did he get it from? I received it how? By revelation from Jesus Christ. So where did it come from? It came from the inside, right? Okay, verse 13. For you have heard of pre my previous ways in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my, uh, my, own among, my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased. Now notice this. He was pleased to do something. Verse 16, to what? Come on, say that big R word. Reveal. Reveal what? His son, where? In me, 
so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What's he saying this? Whatever your and I, my calling is, he wants to reveal his son Jesus in you so that out of that now, I'm a plumber. Out of that, I'm a teacher. Out of that, I'm a work for the government. Out of that, it becomes your job. But when I get Jesus revealed on the inside of me, then he's like, I became a to preach among the Gentiles. That was his assignment. But where did it come? Jesus being revealed on the inside first. Again, I'm just laying a foundation to show you the importance of revelation knowledge, not just being okay to sit in church and go, oh yeah, that was some good more information, more information, more information. It's got to get down on the inside of you to the point where it changes everything from you on the outside. I got it on the inside. I see him. I know my purpose. I know my call. Why? Because he's revealed on the inside. Now, fourthly then, why revelation knowledge? Because the strength of my faith is connected to my personal revelation of the word of God. Meaning this, every breakthrough in faith is first a breakthrough in revelation knowledge. Anybody ever have one of those aha moments where you're just spending time in the word and all of a sudden you go, he loves me. Ding! It's just like, it's the newest thing. What is that? It became revealed to you. It came from your inside, from your spirit, and it enlightened your mind, and you went, I see it. Anybody ever have one of those moments? Aha! We need churches' light bulbs to come on. Aha! We need a bunch of those happening regularly. Ah, I see it. I see it. And what happens? It's fueled your dedication. Hey, pastor, what can I do? Hey, I'm in my local church. Hey, I'm doing... You become a completely different person because of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, if and since revelation knowledge is so crucial for the believer, for the church to advance, for the gates of hell to not come against the church, if it is such a big deal, how do you and I now align or position ourselves to receive revelation knowledge from him. Does that make sense? Okay, these I've got, again, four points. I'm gonna just hit on one of them in my little bit of time that I have with you. But number one would be this, knowing that God speaks. I know that he speaks. Don't let this sound so simple. Knowing that he speaks, understanding how he speaks, understanding to whom he speaks. Did you know that God doesn't talk to smart people? Huh? He doesn't talk to know-it-alls. Why? Because they know it all. That's the problem. And what is that? It's just a simple reality of pride. Why? What does he say about the pride? He said, I actually have to resist the proud. But what does he do? I give grace to the humble. So we have to understand how does God speak? Where does he speak? This goes into the second part of this. How do I align myself? I have to understand that I am a spirit. I have a soul and I live in this physical body. Because where does God speak? Does God speak to our minds? No. Does he speak to our flesh? No. Our minds and our flesh will be affected, but that's not where he communicates to. Where does he communicate? He communicates on the inside. I am a spirit being. That's where he talks, right? Now, number three, I develop an attitude that I live in the reverential fear of the Lord. This is an attitude. It becomes a lifestyle that whatever God says, I put more weight and more honor to what he says above anything else. No matter how many PhDs this guy's got or this lady's got, it ain't nothing compared to what God's got to say. If this is what God says and this is what, you know, they're saying in the financial realm, I'm going to stick with what God says. That's reverential fear. That's living in God. I respect what you have to say more than what anybody has to say. 
That's an attitude I take on. And fourthly, is that I have to give God something to work with. He needs access. This, again, will change a lot of people's mindsets. We think that God's up there just pulling levers all over the place. A little BC, ching, bang, we'll do something over there. We're going to do this in Alberta. And we're just, whatever happens, happens. No, that's not the case. He needs access in order to get into this world. Did you know that? That you're the access, you're the door for God to have influence in Ladner. It's the only access point. Oh, God, just do something. And he's going, yeah, do it. I'll go with you. I'm going with you. So I need the access point. Those are the four points for you and I to align ourselves for wisdom and revelation to flow in us. Again, these are intertwined. But the one that I want to really hit on in my last two hours with you is this. <laughs> there could be a pity laugh or a, oh, shoot, laugh, whatever. But let's... <laughs> Number is we're going to just go over this. Does God speak? Now, let's not make this go, oh, yeah, sure. Let's, let's look at how he talks right now. Hebrews chapter 1, let's look at this, 1 through 3. I'm giving you a lot of verses today, so I hope you write these ding down and think about them. Let the Lord just speak to you through them. But it says this, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. Now, aren't you thankful that today you and I, thank God for the pastors, like you guys have amazing pastors here. Thank God for all that. But today we don't live where we are dependent upon a priest or a king or a, a prophet in order to hear from God. Okay, so this is what they had in the old. They had to go run and find the priest. They had to go find the prophet. What is God saying? What is God saying? That's what God did in the old covenant. And he says the revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time building on one truth upon another. Then verse two, he says, but to us, say to me, come on, but to me, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. You and I, we speak English. Some speak Afrikaans. Some speak whatever. English is my native tongue, but God speaks son. <laughs> That's how he speaks. We speak English, God speaks son. If God were to have a message, guess what he would do? If God were to show up in person, come down from heaven and land here, guess what his message would be? Jesus. That's his only message. Heaven has one message. It's Jesus. And that's the church's call is Jesus because when you reveal him, people can see him. <gasps> I see what this is all about. Okay. He says, the anointed heir of anything, for through him God created the... Uh, panorama of all things and of all time. Why does God speak sun? Look at this in verse three. Because the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. God speaks son. So if you want to speak his language, you got to speak the same thing. God doesn't speak fear. God doesn't speak worry. God doesn't speak doubt. And a lot of times, you know, if I ever, you know, when I, once in a while in our vacations or travels, I like going to Cancun. That to me is like, whoop, whoop. And you turn on the TV and I have no idea what they're saying. The last thing I heard was, por favor, and that's all I know. <laughs> so well, what happened? It's a foreign tongue to me. And so you hear all these guys, I, don't, I, I have no idea what they're saying. And so what happens is you, you turn it up. I mean, I have, a, I have, I have a, 
There's a family friend of ours that what happens when, you know, they're, they're meeting somebody from a different country and you try to see them converse, they start talking a little bit to each other. And what happens when, you know, one person doesn't understand, they talk louder. Do you want a hamburger? Do you want a hamburger? No comprende. Well, it's the same way with God. God, what are you going to do with this? I don't know how I'm going to do that. God's going, no comprende. I don't know what you're saying. He doesn't speak worry. He doesn't speak doubt. What does he speak? He speaks faith in the son. That's his language. So again, the church, we got to wake up and see this. I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. How do I speak? Heaven talks different than we do. So we got to align from where we come, our native home, which is heaven, we've got to align ourselves so that our believer and our talker sound the exact same way. Now, look at this in Matthew chapter 9. I'm trying to hurry up here. But Matthew chapter 9, look at it. I just want to show you this instance that Peter, James, and John had, the Mount of Transfiguration, just to show how important it is. How does God speak? God speaks son. He speaks through his son, Jesus. Now look at this in verse 3 or two, sorry. So six days later, Jesus took James, Peter, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say. Anybody ever do that before? <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say this, and we'll see what happens, right? He was terrified. Verse 7, then the cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. He said it with me. Listen to him. And verse 8 now, it says, suddenly... When they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw Jesus only at this time. Now, what does this all mean? What does Moses represent? The law. Of the, pro the law. What does Elijah mean? The prophets. For these Jewish men, what were they were taught is they were taught by the age of 12, I believe, they had the first five books of the Bible memorized, the Torah. They memorized it. They understood it. Their lives were completely surrounded by the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus comes in. The cloud, cloud overshadowed him. Listen to him. And what happens? Again, Moses meaning the law, Elijah meaning the prophets. Suddenly, they were both gone. And who was there? Jesus. Listen to him. That would have been a tremendous change from their lifestyle of the Torah, the Torah, the book of Moses, the book of the prophets, the, the prophets. And what happened to now here, listen to Jesus. Okay, this changed everything. I got to listen to him. And for you and I, as the church, our job, the only way for revelation knowledge to come is hearing his words. I have to give God something to work with. A famine of the word of God in my life is a famine of revelation knowledge. No word no revelation knowledge. We got to get back to just simple Bible reading daily. Why? To give God something to work with. <laughs> now, how does Jesus speak? What does he use? What does he do? I kind of gave you the hint already, but let's look at these verses. In uh, first, or sorry, go to John chapter one. And while you're turning there, I want to just remind you and I, remember when the couple of the disciples after Jesus was crucified, he rose from the dead. And there was a couple of disciples in Luke 24 that were just walking away 
And Jesus asked them, he said, hey, what's, why are you guys down? What's, what's going on? And they're like, what do you mean what's going on? Didn't you hear that Jesus that was potentially the Messiah has been murdered, he's been crucified? And they started talking and what happens down the road, you actually read this in Luke 24, verse 32, it says, when they said to one another after Jesus was relaying and he talked to the scriptures about them, he opened up their understanding. He says, were not our hearts greatly moved and burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and he opened and exclaimed, explained to us the scriptures. When Jesus starts talking to you from his word, you're, you want more, right? You get addicted to the word of God. God will support your habit. You get so in pressed and in love with this word, it becomes something, I, I need my fix today. <laughs> I just need the word. And what happens, it's living on the inside of you, and Jesus is able to reveal more and more. Now look, how does Jesus talk? How does he communicate? I want you to really see this. Again, all of this is just a reminder. You know all of this because you're really well taught here. I'm just, just reminding you and I the importance of revelation knowledge. Don't be satisfied with just mental assent. Or I heard this, well, this was a good nugget. Man, you got to get in it. Let it get on the inside of you. Spend the time meditating on it until it's built down as a solid rock in you so that you can able to live it out, that it becomes the, the initial response. When you're squeezed in life, what comes out? <sighs> that's not constipation or anything. That's just a demonstration of squeeze. When you get squeezed, what do we want coming out? The word. Not, you know, some curse word. We want the word coming out of us, but it has to be put in. All right. Do I have a few more minutes? Is that okay? A few more. Okay. So John chapter one, look at this in verse one. It says in the beginning. Now this is not Genesis one, one in the beginning of creation. This is talking about before all of that began. Okay, so here's planet Earth. This is Genesis 1-1 right here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1-1 talks about in the beginning. In the beginning was what? The word already existed. And the word was with God and the word was God. Verse two, he. Now notice how the word he and word are interchangeable. He, the word, existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything, Genesis 1-1, everything through him, through the word, and nothing was created except through the word. Right? Verse 4, the word, now look at this, gave life to everything that was created, Genesis 1. And his life, what did it do? It brought light to everyone. Verse five, I love this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So what does Jesus use? He uses his word. This is how God is speaking today. My access to God is the word. God's access to me is the word. The word. Come on, say it with me. The word. This is the most precious possession that we have on this planet is the word of God. It's the word, it's the word. And where did the word come? It existed way over here. Before there even was a time, the word was already there. So what you and I are standing on, when you spend these time getting this word in you, it's from before the foundation of the word. It is a secure, powerful, almighty word that cannot be altered, cannot be changed. It'll be the same as what is there. Genesis 1, 1, rapture the church. Even to three million years from now, guess what? It'll be the word still standing going, hey oh, still working. Still doing the same thing. 
So when you're putting this word on the inside of you, it is an everlasting, eternal thing. And when you get revelation knowledge of it, I don't care what they say in the natural, I cannot be moved because my life is fixed and founded on a secure foundation that has tanned the test of time throughout generation to generation. It's the word. So you and I, when we spend time in the word, I'm telling you, that gives Jesus an opportunity to give revelation knowledge because it shows God, I want it. And in a culture that is so easily just want nothing to do with him, that are just so careless, so dishonoring, and all the things of God, not us. Not us. We're going to be those people that honor him with everything we've got. We honor him with our finance. We honor him with our lives. We honor him with our thinking. We honor him with our time. Everything we've got, God, you deserve it all. And watch this. God says that those that honor me, I will honor. And he says those that despise me, what does he do? I'll think less of them. That's 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. That's a reality. That's a actual principle in the spirit realm. And my last verse, then I'll finish up here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. The New Testament, just the verses you like, just the ones that we quote as believers. No, it says all. Everybody say all. All, all means all, right? All with 16 L's after the A. All scripture is what? Inspired by God and is useful to do a few things for us. Ready? It's useful to do what? To teach us what is true. Right there. Thank God. But with everybody, there's no such thing as my truth. Did you know that? We have experiences, absolutely, but that should never shape the truth. There is the truth and the truth is what you and I build our life on. And that is the word of God. Because you hear that so much prevalent in our culture. Oh, I just have my truth. Shut up. No such thing. That is absolutely from the pit of hell, my truth. No, my truth screws up a bunch of people. There is the truth. And if the truth, if my life doesn't line up with the truth, guess what's going to change? Me. He says it teaches us what is true and to make us realize, here's the fun part, what's wrong with us? No, no, no. People, no, we're, everybody's just fine. Nobody's ever wrong anymore. Everybody just lives by their truth. False. That ain't going to be, especially in the Christian world, we have fallen into this as well. Oh, we're, we're just going to let them go. Listen, judgment day, when we stand before the Lord, he's not going to go, oh, honey, yeah, your truth, yeah, I can really, I understand that. That, it's not going to happen. There's no such thing as, oh, you had your truth? Okay, yeah. Because why is that? Because that just keeps all the levels like, what's right? What's wrong? Heaven would be a disaster if everybody just lived by their truth in heaven. You'll never see, like, here's the thing. Jesus is a king, right? So there's no election in heaven. You're not going to see make heaven great again, you know, 2024. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Why? Because he's a king. Kings don't change. So what does he do? His word is his word. We either abide by it and adjust to it, or you can do your own thing, but it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. He says it realizes what's wrong in our lives. Now notice this. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches, to do, teaches us to do what is right. So again, if I'm not spending time in the word of God, how do I know what's true? Listen, because if we don't renew our minds to the word of God, something out there is changing the way that we think. What's governing your thinking? Is it the political realm? Because you'll be screwed. Is it the educational realm? Good luck. Is it the politicians that are out there? Oh, we just like them. They got such great charisma. Good luck with that. 
or is it the unchanging word of God? Now, verse 17, lastly, it says this, God uses it, his word, to what? Prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. When I'm spending time in this word, not only is it correcting me, aligning me, adjusting me, bringing truth to me, but God is also using it. God doesn't use sickness and disease. He doesn't use hard times. He doesn't use difficulty. He doesn't use you in a car accident to teach his people something. He uses his word. And when you and I get into the word, what happens? It shows I'm teachable. I get in the word of God and I allow that word to change me. God, I need coaching today. I need some training. I need something going on on the inside. I need to be prepared for what you called me to do. Guess what he does? Get my word. Oh, but I don't want to. Get trained yourself to get into it. Do you always feel like it? No, we got flesh. I get it. But what do we do? No, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get into that word, spend time in that word. Why? Because God, I want a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? In the knowledge of you. That's what I want. Church, is that what we want? More than a new car, more than my house being paid off, more than this you know, great family vacation. God, I'm asking you, I want this, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I don't just want a nice little family. That's all great. That's all fine and dandy. But what do you want, church? I believe God is crazing up and calling up a people that want this more than the big crowds, more than the, all the fancy looking things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But God, what do I want more than anything? I want to know you. To the point, Moses forsook, gave up everything he had in Egypt, all the power, all the wealth, all the best things money could buy. He had it all and said, I don't want that. I want him. I want him. I want him. Paul, at the end of his life, before he died, what does he say? My determined purpose is that I may know him. That's his heart's cry. It's his heart's longing. And so what did he do? God, give unto me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to know you. When I see him, I can change my city. When I see him, I can change a nation. It's not just, you know, throwing out prayers once in a while here. It's, God, I want to know your heart. So I keep rambling on here a little bit. I just feel impressed by the Spirit of God. Psalm 100 even tells us that the people of God, Israel knew his ways, or sorry, the acts of God. Moses knew his ways. Such a huge difference. And that's what we have so many people. A lot of Christians know the acts of God. We know God is a healer. Do you know the healer? I know he can. Do you know him? We sang Jireh. That's wonderful. Do you know him as that? <laughs> Changes everything. So can we just pray this Ephesians prayer just in closing? Is that okay, Pastor? Okay. Can we just do that together? If we put it back on the screen, guys, would you mind doing that? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Let's just, rather than just reading it off the screen, I want to ask you, would you just pray this over life, church? over your family, over yourself personally. Father, we are asking you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ would give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, we are asking that the eyes of our understanding of our hearts would be enlightened that we would know the hope to which we've been called to. Father, we want to know the riches of your glorious inheritance that you've placed in us. And Father, we want to know what is the exceeding greatness of your power in and for me because we are believers. Why do we want to know this, Father? It's the same power that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead. 
Carney, y'all, can we just open up our hands to him this morning? Let's just lift our hands. Open your hearts. Father, this, we're asking you. This is the same power that you used to raise Jesus from the dead. You took us out of Egypt. You took us out of this world and you called us to be your own sons and daughters. So Father, we're asking you in the name that's above every name to give that unto us. We are the hungriest church in BC for you. We're the hungriest church in the lower mainland for you. We are a hungry church in this nation for you. Our hearts are set on you. So grant that to us, Father. That's what we want more than anything in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.